Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hillary Ramos Show, Matters for Mind, Body, and Spirit Talk Radio, dedicated to inspiring the human spirit and raising the collective vibration one show at a time. We are airing a special show today from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. We have a very special guest joining me this hour, David Icke, author of 16 books, which include The Biggest Secret, Children of the Matrix, Tales from the Time Loop, I Am Me, I Am Free, Infinite Love is the Only Truth, All Else is Illusion, and his latest release, The David Icke Guide to the Global Conspiracy and How to End It. David lectures worldwide on the existence of other dimensions and versions of reality. David's words are designed to inspire all of us to be who we really are, to fling open the door of the mental prison we built for ourselves and to walk into the light of freedom. David will be doing a two-city tour this fall in the United States, and he will be presenting his latest seven-hour talk in Santa Clara, California, on September 27th and 28th at the 10th Annual Bay Area UFO Expo. David will also be speaking Wednesday, October 1st at the Million Dollar Theater in downtown Los Angeles. For more information, please visit David's website, davidike.com. Without further delay, welcome, David. Hello, Hillary. Thank you. It's very nice to speak to you again, and I'm very excited. I know we have a tremendous amount of material to cover, and uh, I thought we could start by talking about connecting the dots and what exactly that means. You mentioned that quite a bit in your books, and you talk a lot about that in your lectures. Well, I started this uh, journey, at least consciously, about uh, 20 years ago, and um, I I came into it um, from the perspective of coming across... um, information about the nature of life and the nature of consciousness. And um, I asked the question because I'd been um, a journalist and uh, in a uh, television presenter with the BBC and what have you. I'd lived a real out there kind of life, really. And it kind of uh, took me aback when I came across this information and uh, realized that it was there, but I didn't know it was there. You had to go looking for it uh, to an extent. And I started asking the questions, why isn't this taught in the schools? Why isn't this offered as a, an alternative to uh, religion and science, uh, uh, mainstream science, song sheet science as I call it? Uh, why isn't this talked about in the media? And so I started uh, with those questions to uh, look deeper. And, of course, I came across, as the years passed, this enormous tapestry of suppressed information, suppressed knowledge, uh, manipulation of reality, manipulation of world events. And uh, I I, I learned very quickly that to understand the world and what's actually happening as opposed to the movie version that we're given through the mainstream media and education and all the rest of it, you have to understand at least to an extent and sometimes in great detail a, a massive, massive range of different subjects which on the face of it at first sight um, appear to have no connection but the deeper you go and the more you go into it you start to connect uh, different people events organizations um, uh, events of history uh, ancient peoples ancient knowledge uh, what people call spiritual understanding all these things um, start to connect and uh, it's like it's like putting a, a, a jigsaw puzzle together. Uh, you, you faced it at first with a, a mass of different pieces which um, don't really seem to have any connection. 
And first of all, you have to look at each individual piece and, and, and understand that to an extent. Is it part of the sky? Is it part of a house? Is it part of a person or whatever? Um, and then as you gradually put the pieces together, especially when you've, in the way I do jigsaw puzzles anyway, when you've got the, um, the straight pieces um, around the outside, the frame, you start to see uh, the picture that's emerging and the pieces going quicker and quicker and quicker because you're starting to get a, a, an understanding for what the picture is and where things fit. And that's basically what has happened to me in the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, and it's connecting the dots between apparently unconnected events, people, uh, um, historical um, events and different subjects that, that allows the picture to start to uh, connect. And, you know, people say that, um, you know, nothing happens in isolation when they're talking about spiritual things, you know, everything's connected. Well, you know, everything's connected on every level because, um, you know, what's this, this line that people use, as above, so below? What they're describing is a hologram. Uh, holograms are um, uh, phenomena where every part of the hologram is actually a smaller version of the whole. So um, everything connects, and what affects one part of the hologram affects the whole hologram. And, and this, this is what you find when you start to uncover this information. Everything connects into everything else eventually if you go deep enough. David writes in his newest book, it was in the 1980s that I began a conscious journey in search of answers that has taken me to 40 countries and led me to knowledge, ancient and modern, which has shown me how many of the pieces, puzzle pieces fit. Only when the dots are connected can the picture be seen, and in this book I've pulled together two decades of research and experience to explain why something's not quite right. As always, it is a work in progress, but it takes a giant leap along the road to understanding the human condition and how we can change it. That is from David's latest book, The David Icke Guide to the Global Conspiracy and How to End It. For more information on David's latest research, his books, and his events, please visit his website, davidike.com. David, now, I know we were going to talk a little bit about September 11th and how the dots are connected, so to speak, with that particular event. And uh, where would you like to start with that? Because there's just so much, there's such a vast amount of information that you have yeah. regarding that particular topic. Yeah, well, this, what, what you've um, you know, brought into this is, um, is an absolute classic case of how things connect. See, on the face of it, um, you look at that horrific uh, attack on September the 11th, and you see it as, in isolation, uh, an attack by 19 uh, Arab terrorists uh, flying planes into buildings, um, wide-bodied jets when, uh, when they, according to their flying instructors, um, were uh, dumb and dumber uh, when it came to flying one-engine planes. Something doesn't fit here. Anyway, um, it, in isolation, that was a, quote, terrorist attack on America. But once you start to connect the dots, and I, because of the research I'd done before uh, 2001, um, I was able to, to, to say um, on, on radio in America immediately after 9-11, this, this is not what it seems. This is an inside job, and ABCD is going to happen as a result of it. Um, because it, 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 it ticked every box for um, a mass manipulation technique that I called years ago now, problem reaction solution um, you if you want to change uh, the world and you want to change society you have to change the way people see 
um, events and society because then you've not got challenge from them uh, in, in terms of where you want to take, uh, take society. You've got support or, or, or at the very least uh, people, you know, don't oppose you. So you've got to change in short. You've got to uh, change the way people see themselves, see the world, and see the society that you want to change. And this is where problem, reaction, solution comes in, because in the end, this whole global manipulation is a mind game. It plays out as banking scams and political scams and, and, and terrorist events and all the rest of it, but, but they're, just the, they're just the playing out of what is a mind game. And uh, problem, reaction, solution is about manipulating uh, people en masse, mentally and emotionally, to see the world you, the way you want them to see it. So it goes like this. Um, you want to change uh, society in a way that you know that if you do it openly uh, and just say this is what we're going to do, you know you're going to get a, a resistance from that, a, a serious resistance in terms of what, what they want in, uh, in terms of what we're talking about, which is an Orwellian state of total control. Um, of, of every aspect of our lives right down to the fine detail. And this is no, you know, forward-projecting prophecy. This is happening now in, in, in country after country, not least my own, where it's just absolutely out of control. Um, so um, you don't cause that reaction, that opposition, by doing it openly. You play this technique of problem, reaction, solution. Stage one, you create a problem. Now, it could be a 9-11, a terrorist attack. It could be a credit crunch. It could be a government collapse. It could be a war. Anything that will get, allow you to offer the solution to the problem you have covertly created, uh, which advances your um, agenda towards this Orwellian global fascist state that we're hurtling towards as I speak. Um, stage two of problem, reaction, solution is the reaction, and that's the reaction of the public you're looking for. You tell them a version of your manufactured problem that blames um, someone else or blames something else um, so that you're looking at stage two uh, of a public reaction of fear, of outrage, and in effect, um, something must be done. What are they going to do about it? And that allows you to go to stage three, the solution, in which you openly offer the solutions to the problems you have covertly created. So if you look at the connections in terms of 9-11, all this um, Orwellian change, this extraordinary speed of Orwellian change, uh, the invasion of Afghanistan, the war on terror, um, the invasion of Iraq, in, 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 uh, in fact, because it wouldn't have happened without 9-11, have all um, have been justified or have come about as a result of or in the aftermath atmosphere of 9-11. And um, it was a massive problem-reaction solution to change society and, and massively reduce the opposition to changing the society in the way that you want, which is, uh, oh, I know, well, we believe in freedom. We've got to take your freedoms away to protect your freedoms, which is basically, not even basically, it's actually what we've, what we've been told um, has to happen. And so many people say, yeah, I know, you know, it's not good all this freedom being taken away, but what can you do? We've got to do something about the terrorists. Exactly. Problem, reaction, solution. And um, so... 9-11 changed not only uh, uh, global consciousness in terms of um, the way it saw the world in itself, it changed the whole game and massively advanced it. And therefore, it's no surprise that if you go back, um, 
you find that this was all orchestrated years and years before and planned years before. Um, there was an organization created in America in the 1990s called the Project for, a new, for the New American Century, and it was created by the very people who entered um, uh, the American government with George Bush um, in uh, the year 2000 and uh, early 2001 when he was officially inaugurated. Now, this project for the New American Century produced a document in September 2000, just before Bush won the election, and a year before 9-11, in which um, they um, basically produced a blueprint for where they wanted America to go and what they wanted America to do. This included, and it's in the document, targeting um, uh, dangerous regimes like Iraq, Iran, North Korea, etc. And when uh, Bush came to power in, uh, in early 2001, um, uh, he started um, from the start being the front man to introduce this uh, agenda that the Project for the New American Century had produced. And in uh, 2002, in his uh, uh, State of the Union address, he um, talked about the axis of evil, which was what? Iraq, Iran, and North Korea. It was straight off the pages of the Project for the New American Century document from, uh, what, two years earlier. And that speech was written by a guy called David Frum, who is one of these so-called neocons or neoconservatives that were in that cabal around the Project for the New American Century and including also uh, the American Enterprise Institute. And so um, what, we, what we've seen... Um, throughout the Bush administration is the playing out of this agenda created by um, this cabal um, in, in, uh, in the background. Um, and and that, that's what it was all about. Now, to introduce that agenda, they needed a reason to do it. And in this Project for the New American Century document, September 2000, it actually says that um, this process of transformation, as it calls it, i.e. introducing uh, what the, uh, the document proposed, would be a slow process absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. One year after that document was published, what, nine months after the people who published it came to power with Bush, we had what Bush called our Pearl Harbor. 9-11. And as a result of that, all the, the stuff that's in that document, uh, or, or lots of it anyway, there's still some to play out, um, has been um, unfolding, justified by 9-11. Now, if anyone thinks that's a coincidence, I've got some seafront property in Denver they might like to, uh, <laughs> might to buy. Um, it's, it's, it's so blatantly obvious. And um, the 9-11 was the, the trigger, if you like, um, which is started um, this, this incredible period of change, this Orwellian change, which has not only been used in America, uh, Hillary, to um, problem, reaction, solution, change. It's been used in every country. We have, as a result of 9-11, we have anti-terrorism laws in places like New Zealand um, uh, because of 9-11. You know, I mean, and, and, and other countries uh, uh, that, that you would never even think could be, uh, uh, have a problem with terrorism uh, of the kind that we saw on 9-11. But it's being used as the excuse. And the, the way it's done is that 
the, the network of um, interbreeding families that I've been exposing now for the best part of 20 years um, operates like a transnational corporation. And the headquarters, if you like, um, are at operational level in Europe for historical reasons. Now, from that central point, um, the agenda for the Orwellian uh, fascist uh, global state um, is dictated. And just like a transnational corporation, in each country, it has its subsidiary networks. And those networks have the role of introducing in their sphere of influence, their country, the centrally dictated agenda. So when 9-11 happened, those networks went, uh, and indeed they were well prepared, um, those networks went into, uh, into play to push through this legislation all over the world, which is, which is taking away basic freedoms for almost everybody um, on the basis of an event in America. And uh, so th this is where uh, the whole thing has been, um, has been coming from. And now, with the events in Georgia, etc., now we're moving to the next uh, ma massive stage of this, which I've been talking about now for, oh, God, it must be a decade and a half in my books and stuff, and that's um, the planned third world conflict, which is de designed to be the problem, global problem, for which they can offer a global solution, which is the centralization of power on a global level. If you look at the First World War, um, after the First World War, um, their uh, power in the world was in far fewer hands than it was before. After the Second World War, it was in dramatically fewer hands than it was before as, as uh, power was centralized. And after the Second World War, we had the creation of the United Nations. We had the Bretton Woods Agreement and, and, and all these centralized bodies and the, the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and all this stuff. And, and, and it's always been planned by these uh, deeply sick people to have three world wars to um, impose the centralized global state. And, and they're now moving the pieces around um, to head towards the third world war, which may not be tomorrow, but the pieces are being moved around on the chessboard uh, to bring it about. You know, David, what I've always found interesting in regards to September 11th is how we were in hot pursuit of Osama bin Laden but very quickly turned all of our focus onto a completely different country with a different uh, problem, so to speak. What are your thoughts on that? Why are you, I know you've written quite at length, but for somebody who perhaps hasn't read your book, what would you say to them in response to that switch of focus that happened right after? Well, I, I would say this, first of all. If you want to control a game, it's no good controlling one side. Say you want to control the outcome of a football match. You want to know what the score is going to be before the game starts. It's no good controlling one side. If you control one side, you're going to influence the game. You're not going to decide the outcome before the game starts. To do that, you must control both sides. And one of the things I've emphasized uh, through all these years is, is, is not to see the world and world events in terms of sides, but different masks on the same face. Um, and it plays out um, in the public arena and on the mainstream media as if it's sides. And at the lower levels, they genuinely think they're on the same side because they don't know who the controllers are, but they're actually um, uh, answering and serving the same master. They just don't realize it. But the higher you go up the, the hierarchy, you reach a point eventually where um, they sure as heck know that 
the ones that they're opposing are controlled by the same people that control them. And um, if you take Osama bin Laden and that whole uh, al-Qaeda uh, farce, um, it's, it's a wonderful example of what I'm talking about. Um, I'll just go through a sequence of events because it will bring us back to Barack Obama, funnily enough. Um, when um, a guy called Zbigniew Brzezinski was national security advisor to uh, Jimmy Carter, um, he, and he's admitted this um, uh, since, a few years ago now, he um, took steps to encourage and entice the Soviet Union to um, invade Afghanistan because he said he wanted to uh, weaken um, the other superpower by getting it involved in what he called Russia's Vietnam. So what, it, what, they, what they did, and he's admitted this, this is not me surmising this, um, they started to fund um, opposition groups and uh, the so-called Mujahideen in Afghanistan. This is before the Soviet invasion, because um, there was a Soviet-controlled uh, um, uh, government in Kabul, in uh, the capital of Afghanistan at the time. And uh, the uh, Brzezinski uh, uh, crowd um, started to fund through the CIA and through Pakistan intelligence, the ISI, um, and through the Saudi royal family. Because uh, uh, Saudi Arabia is one of many 51 first states of the United States. Uh, they started to fund these mujahideen. Um, and they were uh, kind of projected by the media then as freedom fighters. And the, the Russians invaded, not least because they understood that this was being done and they wanted to protect the, um, the Kabul government, which they controlled, um, from being overthrown by these rebels. And I'm not saying this, you know, supporting Russia on this, because, you know, Russia, America, China, Britain, they're all masks on the same face. Anyway, um, what happened was that there was uh, something like a 10-year uh, civil war, a war in, Af in Afghanistan, between the, the um, in, uh, uh, occupying uh, R Russian Soviet armies and these Mujahideen funded by the United States and trained by the United States and trained also uh, by, by the British uh, military. And uh, a million Afghan lives were lost, um, which seems to mean nothing to Brzezinski. And if you understand uh, the mentality of these people, you can understand why it means nothing to Brzezinski. For him, it was a good thing, as he said um, since. So what then happened is as a result of this funding and training of the Mujahideen uh, terrorists or freedom fighters, which you want to look at it, um, in this uh, Russian occupation, Soviet occupation of Afghanistan, what was created was a massive number of trained, funded, and armed people who were willing to take, uh, partake in any level of, of, of violence for what they perceived as their cause. When the um, Soviet Union um, eventually was forced out of Afghanistan, those Mujahideen became the Taliban. And, of course, what they also did during that period, um, the, um, the, uh, the U.S., um, uh, Britain, and the Saudi royal family, is they brought out of Saudi Arabia a man called Osama bin Laden to be the front man, if you like, the focus for this um, uh, resistance, as they would see it, to the Russian occupation. Um, and after uh, uh, the uh, Soviets left, you had the Taliban trained and armed by um, the uh, network that I'm talking about and uh, involved also still um, Osama bin Laden. And, and so um, these um, al-Qaeda 
Al-Qaeda as the uh, former foreign secretary in Britain, a guy called Robin Cook, who's unfortunately died because he started to say some very, very interesting things uh, just before he died. Um, he um, um, wrote in a, a British national newspaper something that, that I already knew, but it was great coming from him, that Al-Qaeda actually translates as the base or the database, because Al-Qaeda is the database of Mujahideen fighters held by the CIA during the um, Soviet occupation and all the stuff that I've just been talking about. So um, what uh, happened then is we had 9-11, an inside job. It was blamed on um, um, Arab uh, terrorists and um, Osama bin Laden. And it was the justification to, to go into um, Afghanistan and, and all the stuff that's followed since and to, quote, uh, Bush, get bin Laden. But, of course, they never had any intention of getting bin Laden because bin Laden was one of their people. And, of course, they drop their people like, like, like uh, a ton of bricks if, if, it, if it suits them. There's no loyalty at all, but it certainly didn't suit them to, um, to bring into to, uh, any kind of uh, public uh, trial because of what would uh, come out. And, and, and no one even talks about him anymore, if you notice. And, and, and so it goes on um, through to today where Barack Obama is, is at the Democratic uh, National Convention. He's um, uh, uh, making his big speech, uh, a, a vacuous windbag speech. Um, I've not heard it, but I know it is because I've heard all his others. And um, he um, is talking about change, 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 and all the rest of it. Now, if you remember um, uh, Bill Clinton, when he was running for president for the first time in, what, 1992, um, he talked about change, change, change. Why do they do this? Because of the way the world's manipulated, um, at any point in time, enormous numbers of people are unhappy with the status quo and their own lives and the, their, their country. So anyone that comes along talking about change, change, oh, yeah, I'll vote for you. We've got to change this. I don't like what's going on. And so we've had all this, this windbag rhetoric with no substance. And he's now starting to go back massively on promises he made, um, uh, which, which um, were designed only to get people to vote for him and to become the Democratic uh, candidate. Now, the, the reason he's changing his, his tune uh, very rapidly is because he's, he's starting to dance to his tune more openly to the, his masters. Now, who is his main master? Subidniu Brzezinski. Um, who is his foreign policy advisor, but he's far more than that. He's his mentor. He's his uh, uh, controller, in effect. And, um, and here we have this, this um, uh, we, we must have bring peace and all the rest of it. We, we will bring change, Obama, who's actually just a front man for Zbigniew Brzezinski, who um, openly has admitted he enticed the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan at the cost of a, uh, a million lives, which led to the training by America of all these uh, Mujahideen, which became Al-Qaeda. Not that that's anything like as big as they claim it is or anything like as powerful, but it became the Taliban and all the rest of it, and, 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 and led to the world that we have today. And, and, and the, the, the key thing, and again, control the game, is that Zbigniew Brzezinski and his crowd including a financier called George Soros, who's a major funder of uh, Obama, connects into exactly the same network, if you go high enough, as the neoconservatives of the Project for the New American Century that have controlled the Bush administration for the last eight years. 
So um, and whether Obama wins or whether McCain wins, it's business as usual. Which mask on the face do you want controlling for the next uh, four years? Do you want this, this face, this mask, or that mask? Because that's the choice that people are going to have um, uh, in, in a few months' time. And this is how it works. Once you make the connections, what appears to be a choice in an election becomes uh, not a choice between um, different views of the world and different directions, different masks on the same face. And the the face is in the shadows where you never see um, those people that really control um, events, because I've talked about Brzezinski, and I've talked about the, the neo-ons um, on, on the so-called other side, the Republicans, uh, people like uh, uh, Richard Pearl and, uh, and, and Robert Kagan and William Crystal and all these people. Um, but um, they're, uh, they're pawns also. They're just higher pawns than, than your Bushes and McCains and uh, Obamas. They, too, are, are working to orders, and, and, and the people whose orders they're working to, you do not see in the public domain. If you would like more information about David's uh, work, he has a free um, video on his website that was a presentation of his Big Brother by Election Public Meeting, and it's available on there, and I highly recommend it. I watched it yesterday, and it's very, very well done. We're speaking today with David Icke, author of 16 books, which include The Biggest Secret, Children of the Matrix, and his latest book, David Icke Guide to the Global Conspiracy and How to End It. You're listening to The Hillary Ramos Show, Matters for Mind, Body, and Spirit. We're doing a special presentation today. And if you'd like to join me on my regular show, it airs Thursday nights, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern. This show and all my others are available on my archive page as well as my website, HillaryRamo.com. David will be doing a two-city tour this fall in the United States. He will be presenting at Santa Clara, California, on September 27th and 28th at the 10th Annual Bay Area UFO Expo. And he will also be speaking on October 1st at the Million Dollar Theater in downtown Los Angeles. For more information and to get tickets, visit DavidIke.com. David, you know, in your work you talk a lot about the the symbols and the symbology of these families of power. And I think just for a moment if we could step back and talk a little bit more about that as well because I think there's a lot of symbology in regards, there's, there's a lot of symbolism in regards to September 11th. And I, I'm very curious to get your opinion on what 11 means because it's been pointed out by not only you and your work but by others as well that the buildings themselves form the number 11 and it happening on September 11th was no accident. What are, what are, what are some of your thoughts on that? Well, this network, um, which uh, I will call um, the Illuminati, because that's what it calls itself when it calls itself anything. It tries not to call itself anything because it's more difficult to track down an organization with no name. But we'll call them the Illuminati. This is a, uh, a network of interbreeding bloodlines that go back to the ancient world and through their secret society network at the highest, highest level of the secret society network. They have passed across the centuries um, highly advanced knowledge and added to it, um, which is passed on only to the chosen few, while at the same time, um, through things like the Inquisition and goodness knows what else, they have sought through the same period to um, take out of circulation the advanced uh, esoteric knowledge from the general circulation. This is why so many people were persecuted. This is why when the European uh, colonial powers, not least the British, went into uh, the countries of Africa, etc., they targeted 
the uh, the shaman and the carriers of the knowledge, uh, historical and the more um, esoteric uh, understanding of, of, of consciousness and energy and how it works and all the rest of it. So um, they, they try to um, hijack advanced knowledge while keeping the general population in ignorance of um, both the fact that that knowledge exists and, crucially, um, keep them in ignorance of who they really are and the nature of the reality they're experiencing and how it's generated. Um, and um, the, the biggest area of, of understanding that we need to have um, is it, it's been the focus of my work now for a long time, and I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper into it all the time, um, is the understanding of the nature of reality, uh, who we are, where we are, and um, who we really are, what we really are. And uh, because without understanding that, if we if we look in the mirror and think the reflection is who we are, um, uh, then then we're going to lose the plot and we're going to get uh, lost and imprisoned in what I call the five sense uh, prison, um, where we filter all reality through the five senses, and um, we we um, operate on a, a, an extraordinarily low level of consciousness and awareness compared with the consciousness and awareness that is available to us, and and and, and the, the the level of consciousness that we we really are. We just been shut down from it. And, and when you get to those higher understandings, um, you start to realize that symbolism um, is very, very powerful. Um, symbolism can, you see, we've got, we've got really um, caught um, with language. We think that language is the only real method of communication. In fact, it's a very low level of communication. Um, it's um, a very, very basic, and it's very, very five cents in, in, in the uh, sense that um, it's a, uh, a vibration which which you um, decode and it becomes a noise uh, and and it's it's decoded by the five senses the hearing senses and it's a five sense thing whereas there are other levels of communication which communicate um, subconsciously um, which put thoughts or understandings uh, or whatever into the subconscious mind and then they um, eventually filter through to the conscious mind and at that point the, the, the person thinks they're having their own thoughts and their, their, their own perceptions when actually um, what's happened is that those thoughts and perceptions have been impregnated at a subconscious level and have filtered through to the conscious level and, and, and become what they think of their own thoughts and perceptions when they're not. Now, this, of course, on a, on a basic level is how subliminal advertising works. We are being um, affected all the time. There's enormous uh, amount of uh, confirming research into all this now, um, whereby um, you look at a picture and there's something in it that, you, that, that the conscious mind doesn't see because subliminal means below threshold, below the level that the conscious mind perceives. But the subconscious mind is like an all-encompassing sponge. It takes it all in, and we're affected by it. And one of the ways that they operate in um, advertising is they, uh, through this method of subliminals, they plant a, uh, a, a thought um, or information um, through um, not words, but uh, often, but but just maybe a symbol or, or something, and it goes into the subconscious. And the idea is that it stays there until you're walking down a supermarket aisle, and suddenly you see on the shelf um, um, something that relates to to what's been put in your mind unknowingly, and your reaction, thinking it's your own reaction, is oh oh. 
that's that's nice. Oh, I think I'll have one of those. And, and, and that's just the basic level, but it's happening on a vast, vast level. So this obsession that I've been writing about for years, um, that this Illuminati network had with symbolism, um, uh, right across the range of, 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 uh, of you know, society and, and, and life, the, the symbols are there to be seen, um, is, is not just um, putting something there and saying, see, ain't it funny, look, we're putting our symbols everywhere and they don't realize it. Uh, that's not the level that they're working at. They're actually um, uh, putting um, subliminal information, or subliminal things into our subconscious. For instance, when you walk down a street, like in, in Britain, we have... Um, it's estimated that if you walk or, or, or operate in a, in a town or city in Britain, on the average day, you will pass 300 um, security cameras. I mean, it's just insane, but it's true. And what um, you, you will walk down the street, and your conscious mind, except now and again, will not be aware of the security cameras at all. But your subconscious mind, which takes everything in, will be. And what that's doing is constantly underpinning on a subconscious level, which becomes conscious through emotion and through a conscious thought. Um, we're in control. We're in control. You're under control. You're being watched. You're being watched. You're being watched. And, and this is the, le- the, the levels that the symbolism and, and, and such like operates at. And um, so symbolism surrounding um, many, many different events. I mean, it's classic. Um, the obvious one is 9-11, which is, of course, the number you in America for uh, emergencies. I mean, you know, the, the, that, that's a, a real blatant and obvious one, but this symbolism goes, goes, goes very deep. For instance, you've got a symbol in America, um, which is the symbol of liberty, uh, the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. That's not a symbol of liberty at all. Um, if you go back to um, ancient um, Babylon, where these bloodlines, many of the significant bloodlines in control today, uh, go back to uh, Sumer and Babylon in the land we now call Iraq. You know, people say well, the invasion of Iraq was for oil, for this, that, and the other. Well, actually, it was for many, many reasons. Oil was, control of oil was one of them, but it was many more important reasons than that from their point of view. And one of the reasons... Um, was that Iraq, um, the former Mesopotamia, Babylon, and uh, Sumer, is a very, very important um, historical place for these bloodlines because it's where they came out of, at least uh, at one point. And therefore, um, controlling that is important to them. But anyway, um, the the Babylonians had a a trinity of Nimrod, the father god, um, uh, Tamos or Ninos, the, the virgin-born son, as they uh, called it in their trinity. And the third point of the trinity was uh, a goddess called Queen Semiramis, also known as Ishtar or Ishtar. And um, when you see the ancient depictions um, of uh, this goddess figure, which is the, the, the prime point of worship of these Illuminati bloodlines, um, it's a mirror image of the Statue of Liberty. Um, why? Because... It's um, uh, a, a symbol put there, not of liberty, ironically, but a symbol of control of America by these people. The Statue of Liberty was given to New York by French Freemasons from Paris who knew absolutely what it represented, Queen Semiramis, the goddess of Babylon. And if you go to Paris on an island in the River Seine, just a, a very short um, way down the uh, river from where Princess Diana died in the Pont d'Alma tunnel, 
um, you you have a mirror image of the Statue of Liberty there in uh, France um, um, because um, that's where the Statue of Liberty uh, came from. But it didn't originate there. originated in Babylon, or at least we can take it back to Babylon, but probably goes back even further. And so these symbols are around us all the time. Um, uh, the... the um, uh, the goddess figure, um, the goddess of Babylon, the uh, Statue of Liberty, is holding the lighted torch of freedom. No, no. The lighted torch was the symbol of, of Nimrod, the sun god of Babylon. Um, and uh, so, and if you look at the Statue of Liberty, by the way, from the air, she's standing on a symbol of the sun. It's all Babylonian symbolism. And um, although... 99.9% of people um, don't know that because they're not told that. Um, subconsciously, they're picking up control, 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 and it's affecting them even though they don't realize it. So the 11 was 9-11. It was, it was, you think it was the symbol based on our emergency system? Well, that, that, that's one level. You see, there's, no, there's never uh, um, just one level of it. I mean, you see, um, if you go into numerology, um, the, the, at one level, I mean, it's, 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 it's something that takes quite a time to go through. Some of my, some of my books are quite long, but um, our reality um, is not what we think it is. Um, we, uh, I'm looking around this room now, and it appears to be solid walls, solid furniture, etc. Well, all those solid things are made of atoms, and atoms have no solidity. So the first and foremost uh, thing is they're not solid at all, even though they appear to be. And this is where you get this um, scientific bewilderment from, where they look at solid things made of atoms that aren't solid, and they can't work out how that can possibly be, except that they know it is. You get into quantum physics and all the rest of it. Well, what they're actually not understanding is that we live in um, what I call a holographic Internet. Um, the human body is a computer, and it's a, a, a transmitter-receiver of information. And it tunes in to certain, uh, a certain range of frequencies because, um, you know, people look out through their eyes and they think they're looking at everything there is to see in the space they're looking at. No, no. They're only looking at a tiny, tiny, tiny range of frequencies known as visible light, which is the only frequency range that our um, sight senses can pick up. And so it's like um, we are living in equivalent of a television channel. And all the other television channels that we can't see are all sharing the same space as the one that we can see, which is that tiny range of frequencies that are called um, um, visible light that, uh, that we can um, um, uh, perceive. So um, we are receiving and transmitting information all the time on, on the frequency range that, that, that we are accessing. And um, we uh, are being suppressed. This is a whole new, uh, another subject, but we are being suppressed through electromagnetic pollution, through um, the additives in food and drink and, and many other things, and, and, and through mind manipulation, um, to um, um, access a tiny, tiny range of frequencies and um, not even access the range of frequencies that we could um, if we were uh, allowed to um, expand our minds as we are designed uh, to do. So we're basically um, uh, receiver transmitters of um, information within a certain uh, frequency range. And um, 
the uh, reality that we are uh, uh, perceiving is only that which we are uh, uh, decoding. And um, our, our brains are being uh, manipulated through all these different uh, ways that I'm talking about to, to, to decode a range of frequencies that holds us in five-sense reality, and therefore we operate in a fraction of our uh, multi-level, multi-dimensional multi, uh, uh, potential uh, to, to uh, uh, understand ourselves in the world in a vastly more expanded way than most people do. We've basically been put in a vibrational box um, um, and we're operating on a fraction of, of, of our potential. Now, on one level, this vibrational box plays out as um, something akin, very, very akin to the reality that was portrayed in the Matrix movies. If you... Um, uh, take what I'm talking about uh, uh, here, and I'll relate it to the Matrix movies in a, in a second. What's happening is this physical world that we think is outside of us actually only exists in the, quote, physical um, sense. Um, when, when our brain has decoded energy fields, thought fields, vibrational fields, into um, holographic, uh, apparently solid but not uh, really so, um, uh, walls and furniture and people and all the rest of it. Um, in its prime base state, all these things are not, quote, solid objects as we perceive them. They are vibrational fields, vibrational constructs. It's our, it's our uh, uh, brains that, um, minds that decode them into this holographic uh, reality that we think is the solid world. And, and uh, therefore, this world only exists in, in, our, uh, in our heads in terms of um, what we are uh, thinking is the, the world that we're uh, living in. Um, and, and on one level, um, the decoded world and the non-decoded world has um, an expression that you might call digital, a, a digital mathematical construct on one level, which brings us to the Matrix movie. You had all those people that were looking um, at those computer screens, at the matrix um, world. And what were they? They were numbers. They were codes, those green codes on the screen. Um, uh, but as they looked in the movie at those uh, apparently, uh, you know, kind of random uh, codes and numbers, they weren't seeing codes and numbers. They were seeing cars, people, streets, buildings. And that is a, a wonderful, um, uh, not even symbolic, but actually literal uh, uh, example of, of, of how we are decoding reality. Um, on one level, um, uh, it is a, a digital construct like that, which we decode into, into all the things that we think we're living uh, within, uh, you know, those solid walls and furniture I was talking about. Now, therefore, you can manipulate that construct um, through an understanding of how the construct works on a digital level. Um, and once you get into the deep levels like this, um, you can start to understand why within the Illuminati you keep having recurring numbers. 11 is one of them, 7 is another, 13 is another, 9 is another, where they, they keep recurring. And, and not just um, uh, the numbers themselves, but multiples of those numbers. Um, and because um, they are having an understanding of the digital nature on one level. There are many levels of this reality. 
um, of, of, of the world we live in, and it's being manipulated because um, we are decoding uh, these numbers, we're decoding this mathematical construct and these vibrational fields, and they can manipulate how we decode it and how we perceive it by manipulating um, the, 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 uh, the decoding on a, on a mathematical, digital level and on a vibrational level. This is the advanced knowledge that has been passed over through the centuries and has been um, taken out of circulation by targeting the shaman and the, and the, the native carriers of the, of the knowledge through the centuries. You know, David, we're coming to the end of our hour, and I thought it would be a great time because I have personally attended. I was at your uh, Mount Shasta talk last year in August, and I know you can go on and on for hours, and it's fantastic stuff. And would you like to tell our listeners a little more about what's coming up for you in San Francisco? Uh, if you guys are out there listening and you are interested in, in attending David's talks, I have to say it firsthand, I have done so. And they are phenomenal presentations, and it's just fantastic. And he's a, he, you are a fabulous presenter. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what you'll be getting into as we come to the end of our, our hour together, about what you'll be presenting in San Francisco and Los Angeles? Well, what's, what's happened, Hillary, is that after banging my head against this wall, it's not really solid, but blimmin' feels like it sometimes, uh, for years and years and years, um, when no one wanted to know, suddenly um, people are awakening. And they're awakening for um, and many reasons. There is a vibrational change going on, which is acting like a spiritual alarm clock. And um, what I was talking about years ago and writing about is now daily experience. You know, this is not sometime never anymore. It's, it's, it's in, in your face. And so there, is, there has been this tremendous um, um, interest in this information that's just exploding. I'm just about to leave to go and speak in Italy, and then I'm going to Croatia. Um, and then I'm coming to America um, uh, to speak in Santa Clara. Santa Clara, over a couple of days, I'm going to be talking for seven hours or so. Because, um, you know, to connect the dots, you need time. And to talk about this vast range of subjects which interconnect, you need time. Um, uh, otherwise, it's so superficial that people, you know, they can't get it. And why should they? Because the, the information is not substantial enough to connect the dots so that people can see the connections because you haven't got the time. So this is why, you know, I do seven-hour talks. But what I'm doing in Los Angeles, which is which has come very late and only a few weeks ago I was asked to do this, um, is I'm going to do four hours. I'm going to really concentrated on a, a few areas of, of, of the most important uh, information, I think. And, um, you know, it's, and, and I'm being approached by another organization at the moment to put on a, another range of talks uh, across America in, in uh, early 2009, if it comes off. And, I mean, basically, I, I can almost go anywhere in the world now and, and talk about this stuff, and that's fantastic because um, it's a challenge to keep up with it because I'm just, you know, one guy and I don't have any big organization. I work with about two other people. In truth, really, only one other person. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's a real challenge to, um, to, to keep up with it and, and all the rest of it. But it's, my goodness me, it's better than it used to be when no one wanted to know. And I remember that, um, coming across stuff in the early 1990s that said that in my lifetime uh, there was going to be a, an awakening, a massive awakening. People were going to wake up from their amnesia. And, um, you know, at that time there was no sign of it. You thought, oh, cool, what's all this about? Don't, uh, where is it? But uh, as the years have passed, my goodness me, it, it, it is happening. And um, we're, we're, on, we're on the cusp of, of, of a real massive change. And I hope that that change 
will um, take an expression not only of um, becoming aware of the information and what's going on, but actually doing something about it and take the expression in doing something about it, not of um, hostile um, uh, protests where people are just shouting at the police and all the rest of it and, and uh, there's hostility between the two and all the rest of it that, that, that you see, but we actually realize where the real power is. This world can function and those people manipulating this world, a very tiny few compared with the global population, uh, can function only because of, of, of the people in general. And the people in general need to stop um, cooperating with those few that are manipulating their lives. And once we stop cooperating, the whole uh, conspiracy grinds to a halt because the few can only control the many by manipulating the many to control each other. We have the power, but only if we stop cooperating. And that's the level where we're going to get uh, real change, uh, not on the level of, of um, hostile protests. Much as I understand it, um, it's not going to change anything because you, you, you're just creating a, a situation of conflict between two sides. That's, that, that's going to take us nowhere except into more conflict. What we need to do is take a deep breath and just stop cooperating calmly, peacefully, stop cooperating. If people come out of the White House or Downing Street and said, look, we've had a discussion, this is what we're going to do, and the people say, we ain't doing it, they have no power. That's where the people's power is, and, and that, I hope, is what we're going to do, because that will bring an end to this nonsense. Well, David, we've come to the end of our hour, and I have to say a sincere thank you for joining me. Once again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I know my listeners are certainly enjoying your message, and that's such a, a wonderful note to end on. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Hillary. Thank you. And good luck with your talks this fall. I certainly wish you the best of luck with everything. And, again, if you're interested in more information, David's uh, website is davidike.com. Thank you for joining me. And, David, it has been truly a pleasure to speak with him and to have all of you join me today for our special broadcast. This show will be airing once again on September 11th. 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, and will be available on my archive page right here on bbsradio.com. Until then, everyone, thank you for joining me. I will talk to you all soon. Live well. Namaste.